Guys, welcome to the Cooking the Coach podcast. I'm Kenny. I'm the cook. I'm Baze. I'm the coach. Welcome to the show, guys. We have a really good interview for you all to listen to today. We're really excited about it. It's the author of a book me and Baze both read. It's called Learning Peace. That's right. We got my friend Krista coming on the show today. Uh, she was in the Peace Corps for a couple of years in Ethiopia, which is my parents' homeland. So, And there's lots of stuff going in Ethiopia right now in the news. So uh, we thought it'd be a perfect time to uh, bring her on and talk about her experience and also talk about what's going on in the world currently. And uh, yeah, we've been trying to get her on for a minute now and we finally made it happen. So yeah, we're excited to have her on. It was a great episode. So without further ado, guys, here's the episode. Krista, welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, for our listeners that are watching, listening right now, can you tell them a little bit about yourself and uh, your book and you know how you got to Ethiopia, basically the beginning part of it, how it all started for you? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm Krista. I went to Bethel. So that's how I know Beza. Um, I, I figured that was it. I wasn't sure. Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We always had plans to like meet up in Ethiopia while I was there, but it never worked out. It's never um, happened. No. I know. So sad. <laughs> um, so I got to Ethiopia, um, kind of rewinding. I actually never planned on joining the Peace Corps and the Peace Corps is how I ended up going to Ethiopia. But um, right after I graduated, I was in AmeriCorps in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I met a bunch of cool people who had been in the Peace Corps, and they encouraged me to apply. So it was a long application process, and they had me put down, like, a list of preferences on, like, regions um, and, like, hemispheres <laughs> I was like I will go anywhere just send me that, so, that's got to be so intimidating just to have so many options just lay in front of you like that that's wild like you know how on tv shows people like spin the globe and oh like yeah. wherever your finger <laughs> lands <laughs> yeah. but no I actually um I really love Ethiopian food and culture and music and so I think I already had like an interest but um yeah, summer 2018, which seems like a billion years ago, oh, man. I got on a plane full of unmasked people. Whoa. And <laughs> Whoa. I know. Crazy. It's like the before times. It, it really, really was the before times. Um, and so, yeah, I just pretty much kind of went in very naively. I mean, I had, I remember going to the Roseville Public Library. I remember coming out with like a stack of children's books all about Ethiopia and like East Africa and just oh. it what it was awesome and that got me really amped up and um yeah I, I learned like a fraction though I mean that taught me one percent about what I now know about Ethiopia but it was so a that's yeah. fantastic so for people listening or watching who maybe just aren't as familiar um, and honestly I wasn't particularly familiar with the Peace Corps before I read your book um, could you kind of explain a little bit about what the Peace Corps is and what you do like a, a, what a normal person in that would, would be doing yeah um, it's honestly different for every person um, it's not like a mission organization it's not religious you know it's through the government um, and it's public service so you're agreeing to commit two years to um, serve in one of any area um, and that could be education, which is the sector that I was in. It could be health, agriculture, um, like business, microfinancing, or youth development. Um, wow. So, yeah, lots of programs in many, many countries. Right now, 
really there's no volunteers because of COVID. There was an international evacuation of all volunteers. Um, wow. So yeah, pretty wild. That's wild. I think everyone should be a Peace Corps volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> like if there were a two-year requirement, you know how like Australia has apprenticeships where it's yeah. like a requirement. I don't know. I think it's just such a cool intercultural learning opportunity and obviously I learned so much more than I ever taught anyone so yeah that's so great one yeah. thing I thought was really interesting a cool little like snippet from the book uh, you mentioned being invited uh to this event with I guess like South Co like the South Korean version of the Peace Corps yeah. um so did you run into a lot of people from other kind of international versions of the Peace Corps during that trip or was it like pretty like were you pretty much in that one specific one from the U.S. yeah um so my group was about 35 people from the U.S. and we were scattered all over Ethiopia. So um, within the Tigray region where I was and then within Amhara, Aromia and the Southern Nations. Um, but honestly, I met people from South Korea and Japan and nice. those were awesome people to me <laughs> because they cooked really good food. Kenny, you would have loved it. Oh my like, God. I, <laughs> you don't, I okay, I literally, <laughs> I'm literally scrolling through. I took so many notes. Um, like literally <laughs> verbatim of like, I have down here verbatim of like what you were talking about for like the breakfast, lunch, midday snack, dinner. Cause I'm just like obsessed with like, what is for me when I travel, maybe the thing I enjoy the most about travel or get most excited about is the food. And so I loved in your book, how you talked so much about like yeah. the different types of food you got, totally. like when you had it, how you was prepared, loved that. Yeah, Fucking people sweet. fed me really well. And I think mm. that's a negative stereotype that people still have in their brains because I was in Tigray, which is a region that suffered from a famine in the late 80s. Um, wow. And so a lot of people kind of naively asked me, they were like, are you going to have enough food? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have enough Like, do we send granola bars with you? Uh, and I was like, mm, I think, but yeah, like, it's just, such good food and Jera is amazing and the best it's just like when you're eating with other people too and they're feeding you and they're saying here take more take more like I gained a lot of weight <laughs> in the first few months <laughs> because I was eating really well so yeah yeah it was good one thing I was curious about in base sorry I keep asking questions um no, one no thing fun. I was curious about you mentioned a few times in the book that you're a vegetarian um, and kind of your struggles or just like the experience of that in a, like, as like a guest in another country and like Loki, when you were talking about eating the goat, I was kind of like chuckling to myself, like, oh yes. Um, but I respected that you did it. Um, what was that like having like some of those dietary like choices in a different culture? Like, was that something that people kind of raised an eyebrow to? Were they pretty understanding? Did it not come up very much? Oh, it came up all the time. Um, really? Meat's a big deal when it comes to like holidays and celebrations in Ethiopia. Um, and I am from Iowa. So being a vegetarian isn't really popular where I come from either sure. <laughs> um, because it's people's livelihood. So um, right. yeah, I was really upfront and I learned language really quickly when it came to the words for goat and I don't eat that. Right. <laughs> so um, but I think... Yeah, back is she. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, people all over the world eat goat. I think 
America's in the minority in that. Um, oh, I'm a fan just to, for the record, totally. I, but yeah, yeah. It is yeah. not very common. And I feel like in the U S yeah, but it's great protein. So I, I think the biggest deal for me was just trying to kind of maintain that delicate balance of like, I really love you guys and I respect you so much. And I'm also not a meat eater. So, sure. so finding the proper like words and language to express that, I think. But once I got there, um, people would be like the Ferengi, like the foreigners coming over, like make sure we have those veggie options. <laughs> so I felt right at home. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Krista, I, ironically, uh, I don't know if you know this, but my parents, when they first moved to America, the first place they lived was actually Iowa. They lived in Iowa for a few months and then hey. yeah. yeah yeah so the long story yeah. short my mom hated it my dad loved it so they moved to dc naturally oh, yeah <laughs> but um <laughs> but yeah so um it's around how you're from iowa you went to ethiopia for a little while but my parents when they came to america they went to iowa first but um continuing with kenny's um food and um food train i i gotta get your your first sip of real Ethiopian coffee. Tell me what that experience was like. Okay. How long do you have? <laughs> yeah, time. Like, um, people don't know. People don't know. I know. That's one of the saddest things to me that people do not know the taste of Buna. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's hard to put into words. Like you could do a whole episode on this. Have you? Honestly, done you should. We should soon. We should. It's, it's out of this oh. world. I don't think I've had it before. I I feel like I've I've had Ethiopian roasts at coffee shops, but I don't think I've ever had. You said it's called Buna? Yeah. Oh, Pisa, you're not making Buna for Kenny? Tell him. Tell him. Okay. Listen, my mom only breaks out the the kettle and the popcorn during holidays. She doesn't really do it off anymore. Wait, wait. Oh, I was going to ask. That's like, I wasn't sure how common that was. I mean, she used to do it more when I was a kid, but now it's more for like, you know, special events and when family's over and stuff like that. It's just, it's an all sensory experience, which I think Mm -hmm. is the really cool part. You know, like you, you go to Starbucks and you order the Ethiopian roast, whatever you're sipping your hot caffeine, but in Ethiopia, it's like the smell, like the aroma of incense and burning, like roasting coffee beans. And then just like the warmth, the physical, like you can see the steam like coming off of these beans that are crackling. You like hear it crackle. You hear like conversation and music and like Mm -hmm. sometimes the political news is on in the background and then you taste it finally. And it's like this whole buildup because you've seen it go from like green, fresh coffee beans to like now it's in your cup, like a cup of liquid gold. And it's like... (laughs) Damn. It makes Starbucks look pathetic. Oh, totally. And I love Starbucks, but it's yeah. and, uh, not it's not the same. Not the right. same at all. Yeah, no, I fully yeah. agree. Yeah. Going off that, I was fascinated by you like learned how to roast and grind it like all like that whole process like in Ethiopia, correct? Yeah. And it's not anyone can learn it, but it is an art. I think it's really truly an art. Yeah. Hell yeah. Do you still do you still do that now that you're back in the states? Okay, you guys. So I yes, yes and no. You're supposed to okay. roast the beans like within however many months of them being green or they'll go bad. But um, one day during quarantine, it was still like winter, springtime. 
and I was roasting them and my mom came home and she was like, the house is burning. The house is burning down. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, mom, come partake in this coffee ceremony. <laughs> and she was like, what's going on? So um, there's a lot of learning going on in my house now. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, I love this because I was chuckling to myself reading, by the way, you're a great writer. I love the way you write, the, like the images and like the, the scenery so vivid. Yeah. And I was chuckling all the way through because there's like very like specific things and details you place in there that like, unless you've been to Ethiopia or if you're Ethiopia living in the Western world, you would not understand at all. And like you were hitting on these like very like specific points and like these very like descriptive like scenes. And I, I just really, really appreciate that. Um, but uh, I guess the next question is in relation to the coffee question. So what was the first like stigmas of Ethiopia that were breaking down when you first arrived? Cause I know that everyone, you know, has this idea of what Ethiopia is, if they've ever been or what they see in movies and whatnot. So what was like the first like stigma wall that was broken down when you got there? Yeah, totally. I think that was honestly the hardest part of my Peace Corps service was like trying to explain to people in the States that they were wrong about so much. Like I mentioned earlier, like people were worried that I wouldn't have any food, but as it turns out, I was being fed like five or six meals a day. <laughs> right. Um, but like, it was a double-edged sword because there were so many stereotypes that I also corrected to like with my host family in Ethiopia, like not all Americans, US Americans are white or wealthy or college educated or, you know, like the list goes on. So interesting. Um, yeah, it was. It was surprising to me. And it was also like, oh, I guess like I might be the only U.S. American you've ever met. And your experience is through like television movies, which before I lived in Ethiopia, my only experiences were through like, you know, restaurants, coffee, movies, some people, maybe a handful. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so I don't know the food thing. Um I guess like getting sick, like I got pretty sick during my training. Um, and I think that was like, people were like, oh no, like do, how, how many meds do you have? Like, do you need me to send medicine with you? And I was like, I'm vaccinated. Like I've been to a travel clinic. It's like traveling most everywhere else in the world, you know, mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. I think there have been several yellow fever outbreaks in the past few years in Ethiopia. And Ethiopia is a place of very healthy, like world-class runners, first off. The best. <laughs> like, we the like, best. The healthiest food in the world. <laughs> yeah. And you're like doing your country well right now, basically. You're like this coach, like athlete. So, oh, yeah. Thank you. But, yeah. Yeah. I think that work continues, though. And I think... I think I find myself learning and being corrected like from news headlines and news articles from places all over the world, you know, places I've never traveled that I need to learn more about. Right. Know? Because in totally. this time of technology, like ignorance is a choice right now. You can find the answers to just about anything. Mm. Yeah. That's right. One section of the book that I really liked was the women who changed my life. And one question I had uh, while reading that was, I was wondering what struck you the most about like the differences in education opportunities for the boys and the girls, because it seemed to be something you touched on a few times and it seemed like it was something you wrestled with while you were there. Totally. Um, happy International Women's Day. <laughs> yes. This is like the That's right. It's today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
my favorite holiday of the year is today. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was heartbreaking for me to come to terms with the fact. I think, you know, I was just having a conversation with a friend last night too, that sexism isn't necessarily more prevalent in any different country. It's just more discreet in some places than others. So, hmm. I mean, inequality, education, um, and wealth inequality is big for women and men. Um, and it's very, I guess, overt. Is that the word I'm looking for? Um, it's I think just, so, yeah. It's just, it manifests itself in different ways. And you can see it very clearly um, between girls and boys at school. So, I mean, after grade 10, I would say about half girls stop going to school because they either um, just their families have asked them to stay home and take care of kids, or they might be getting married. Um, mm. And we're talking like the age of 16. Like that was, that would have been 10 years ago for me. I can't imagine. Um, yep. So I had, I had some students who were married. I did. And they were married to men, maybe twice their age. Um, I had other students who were promised to men in the community. So they knew who they were going to marry at the age of 15. Um, and like I said, like, that's not unique to Ethiopia necessarily. That's happening in a lot of places all over the world, but in the small community where I lived in Northern Tigray, um, that was the reality. And it um, just, you know, it was just like shocking to experience that because I have a college degree. I was privileged enough to go to a four-year institution and to have literally millions of role models, women who had gone to college before me. So um, right. yeah, very like different realities to reckon with. And I think it really lit a fire within me just to like keep fighting for gender equality and education equality. And that's something that I still love talking about. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. That's really good. Um, wow. Yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah, that, that piece about like, you know, women having like not as much control about, you know, their destiny and their future and whatnot. It's like, I talked to my parents and, you know, my aunts and uncles and even my grandparents when I was in Ethiopia visiting them. And like, we think it's maybe not backwards, but we think it's kind of weird that they go about life that way. But for them, that's just all they know. That's just life for them. Like, I tell people sometimes, like, my grandpa was 30. My grandma was 15 when they got married, yeah. but that's just, that's just what it was. And, you know, they, they were married for, you know, 70 years and they were happy the whole time. But if you say that, if that were to happen here in America today, that'd be like the biggest like news headline in the world. So, yeah. right. so I don't know. It's just interesting to think about. Yes. And you have to uh, like, think about, okay, two generations ago, that might've been more acceptable in the U S a generation sure. ago, yeah. right? Women sure. couldn't sign a lease on a house. Women couldn't open their Very own true. like credit card account. So it's like, sometimes I think in the US, we think we're so advanced. We think we're like so liberated from all of these challenges and like sexism, just like we've solved it. Everyone's equal now, but that's so not the case. And I yeah, think- Yeah, but did we? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Like the pay gap is still a large issue. Women, like last week I was talking to a friend who has to make the choice between going back to work or staying home because they can't afford daycare. And it's like, women are still grappling with these issues like 
can I have a career or family or both? Like that's really not unique to one country or one culture. Mm. Um, but yeah. It's a very complex issue too, right? Like how do you work through those, through those concepts? Like there's right. no clear cut single answer, you know, right. just it's an ongoing conversation, I guess. And I think what it comes down to most, you know, you, you can alienate a lot of people by saying like my culture's right your culture's wrong and that's never the answer and i think there are a lot of people who would be like there is like strict right and wrong like this is the way to do things mm -hmm. i think what it comes down to mostly is just choice and are women given a choice and are they given options um do they really have a choice and um or is it a choice, you know, in quotes that they really, you know, they might, it might seem like they have two options, but when, when it comes to their lives and their livelihood, it's sometimes much more limiting. Mm. Totally. One thing I was uh, curious about. So I, you talked a lot in the book about these various fears that you conquered, like changes in perspective. Um, and for me, it just being in like, like obviously just in COVID and everything, reading it, I thought it was like really helpful to consider some of those changes of perspective. I, I thought they were really relevant to me. Um, one thing I was curious about is it seemed like you had, like, as you were writing, it seemed like you were gathering all these tools, if you will, of like all these ways to approach life in like a better way. And then like it, the, the story kind of like abruptly ends and like you handle it, you wrote it in a really great way, but like, it's clear that you're kind of quickly uprooted again and you have to leave. And um, I was curious, like, was that this like super like frustrating and like hard to deal with, like hard to accept to just to be ripped from that? Like, what was that like? Yeah, you nailed it. Um, it was super hard and frustrating. <laughs> um, I remember one of my Peace Corps colleagues flew home February, 2020. Whoa, again, the before Whoa. time. And I was like, what do you have on your face? Like, what is that mask? It was an N95. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and we watched kind of as the US really started to grapple with COVID. And I think it was kind of like the wave finally hit and we were like, this is really serious. Mm. And the most frustrating part was trying to explain to the people in the community where I lived, why in the world I would go back to a place that was like struggling so much with this virus. They were like, right. you will go and you will certainly get COVID. Like, <laughs> and wow, by, yeah. In March, yeah. 2020, it was hard to be like, yeah, I'm going to go to this pit of like disease and illness and like thousands of people are getting sick and I'll be fine. <laughs> like, yeah. That was just super hard to explain. Um, right. I see why the Peace Corps did it. Obviously it was preventative and safe and mm -hmm. everyone, it was a worldwide evacuation. Um, so thousands of people were sent home, but um yeah, I don't, I opened my closet and I was like, I, I really don't have any spring or summer clothes here because I left <laughs> right. them all. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, like I packed up a backpack. It was pretty much like- It we was were, that fast? We received an email and had to be in Addis Ababa like 48 hours later. It was Whoa. just, it was quick. All the way from Tig. <laughs> so, I mean, I took three mini buses and a plane and was like, 
goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Like, ciao. Oh my God. Um, so Goodness. I think the trauma of that and being never really able to fully say goodbye and it was confusing, right? Because I had to explain. I, I went to school and I had all my students like write me a letter and I didn't tell them why they were writing me a letter. I just, I just said, this is our writing assignment for the day. And I had right. them all in uh, my desk drawer, but I'm honestly like, you haven't read them. I haven't read them. I get wow. that. Yeah. I just, there's 180 pieces of paper <laughs> from 180 students. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm just like not mentally and emotionally ready to do that yet. Mm. Um, that's tough. Know. No, yeah, that's tough. I, I, I was curious at the very end of the book, you mentioned that you've, you've been able to stay in touch with some of the people in Ethiopia. Um, I'm, I'm guessing the majority of the people that you spent your day-to-day -day life with there you probably can't keep in contact with? Like how many people can you communicate with still? Yeah, um, obviously since November, um, things have been mostly shut off in the region as far as network and electricity in the region where I lived um, in Tigray. So um, up until November though, I had maybe like once weekly phone calls with people um, from the sure. community, so. My, you know my my buna lady my favorite coffee <laughs> shop barista nice. um and the family who i lived by and my neighbors um but yeah just so tricky you know i was dealing with nine time zones you know so yeah. when i wake up they're going to bed and right. Right. i'm sure you deal with that with family phone calls oh yeah it's <laughs> it's a whole thing yeah planned <laughs> out like three days before it's, yeah, it's a horror deal damn that actually transitions really nice because we did want to talk a little bit about just some yeah. of the stuff happening in Ethiopia now. Um, I personally really, I am embarrassed to say, I really don't know much of the details, um, but I think Bayes had some like curiosity about that. Like you wanted to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So for myself, how do I want to say, how do I want to word this? Because it's a very, it's a very sensitive and tricky topic in our community right now um, for many reasons. Um, I guess I'll say this. I remember, I don't, I don't know if you were still in Ethiopia at the time or not, but when Dr. Abby came to America to like do his rallies and speeches and whatnot, he made a last second uh, decision to come to Minneapolis to talk to the Ethiopians here because we have the biggest Oma population in the world outside of Ethiopia here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So I remember literally like skipping my internship and work that day just to go like see Dr. Abby speak and you know, it was electrifying. There's this feeling of hope. I only understood like every three words she said, but it was like super, super exciting. And then there was this idea of, you know, like, you know, there's going to be peace between Amhara, Tigray, Oromo, you know. And then a year later, you see the Oromo protests and you see people get imprisoned and you see some of our Oromo leaders get killed uh, by the government. And then now you know six months after all that was going on now you have tigray who is experiencing literal genocide now talking with family members and friends there's talk about well you know tigray was doing this you know a couple of years ago to um, automos and amharas and there's all this infighting but at the end of the day no matter who started the conflict there's innocent tigray villages that are 
being destroyed and the man who's doing it won the Nobel Peace Prize two years ago. And, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I don't know all the details and it kind of exposes my Americanness. But I think regardless of what tribe you come from, whether it's Oromo like myself, whether you're Amhara, um, you do not want to see this. You want to see unified Ethiopia. You want to see an Ethiopia that is, um, I don't know, stands for the values that Dr. Abi was saying when he first came into office, not the opposite of what he's doing right now. So I don't know if there's really a question there, but um, I don't know. You spent most of your time in Tigre and you, you know, you were with these people. You lived with these people. That was your home for a while. So what are your thoughts about everything that's happening right now? And yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, totally. That was really insightful, Beza. And I agree no matter what and no matter where conflict is happening, you know, wherever people are dying, there's an issue, right? And um, mm -hmm. right now it just so happens to be concentrated in Tigray, which is the really heartbreaking part. But just like you, I really don't know all the details, but I also think that's because international media has not been allowed into Tigray since, you know, from like November 4th to like very recently. So there's right. all these like stories and like verifications and, you know, like Amnesty International is coming in and saying that 750 people were killed in a church. You know, they were hiding in a church in Axum and um, it's just like everyone's kind of seeing really what's been happening and obviously the UNHCR has said we're, we're receiving thousands of refugees at the Sudanese border and um, so big international agencies are getting involved and we're kind of seeing these pieces fall into place with what's been happening but I think you're right I think it kind of is most shocking because um, Tigray especially really benefited um, or people were happy. So it seemed to have the Eritrea and Tigray border opened um, under Dr. Abiy's, mm -hmm. um, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the, a large factor in his Nobel Peace Prize um, was building peace between Eritrea and Tigray. And I remember people, it was like September, I think it was September 2018, 2019. Yeah. It was in a September. Yeah. And people were like being reunited with their families who they hadn't seen in over 20 years. Like, yeah. I can't imagine like Minnesota and Iowa border. Like my brother lives in Minneapolis right now and not seeing him for 20 years. Like really, truly, that's the same amount of distance as I was from the Eritrean border. So it's like so mind boggling because that was really celebrated. And then here we are two, three years later. Um, there's tons of, you know, violence and rape and genocide. It really, truly is like a total 180 because when I was there, Tigray was peaceful. And since I left, now it's not. And I think that's really compounded on kind of like dealing with the trauma of being evacuated so quickly and really not fully saying goodbye to a lot of people I knew. And now just not knowing like, will I call and will they answer you know when the network is back on where are the people you know are, are they still safe in their homes 
did they try to make it to Sudan? Like these are really heavy issues mm. and I don't have the answers and I don't have the full story either. And I just think um, it is really cool what the Return Peace Corps volunteer community is doing. I think there are volunteers who are really trying to like amplify voices coming out of Tigray um, and Aromia because there have been things flaring up there recently as well. Um, so it's just, it's like, you know, there's people spreading so many messages and then those messages need to be verified by news outlets, right? And sure. there's so many statistics. And when you say like 450,000, my mind like can't comprehend 450,000 of anything. Yeah. So yeah. I think grappling with like huge numbers and this mm -hmm. seems like a big issue and the international community is not giving it the proper attention. And so- I agree. Yeah. yeah. And I don't even know if I'm answering your question. <laughs> no, no, no. This is perfect. No, this is great. Um, yeah. It's just, it's, it's a topic that's heavy on my heart, but I also realize that not everyone has my lived experience. In fact, very few people have had the unearned privilege of, of even living in Tigray or even visiting. So, um, right. yeah, I feel very lucky to have been there while I was. And I feel very sad now um, just to hear about what's going on. Um, yeah. Any plans to return once things hopefully get better and once there's more, you know, international intervention and things become more peaceful, hopefully in the next yeah. couple of years here? Hell yeah. I'd love to go back. I just, I really would. I'd love to see my students again and drink more coffee and you know, um, I think it's pretty wild that you know the closest city was Axum to me that's like the home of the Axumite empire thousands of years old and that was like my stomping grounds every Saturday so it's like pretty cool it's just so cool and Ethiopia is massive I need to you go to Lake Wasa. I just my aunt lives there seriously like <laughs> gorgeous yes here's the thing when you go i'm gonna go next time i'm gonna take you to lake awasa we're gonna go perfect. around the lake it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time perfect i hear there's yeah. hippos like seriously yes. all my yeah. hopes and dreams come true <laughs> it's terrifying but so cool at the same time <laughs> yeah that's one thing I loved about your book as well. Just all of the references. That's another thing as I'm traveling, I'm always like curious, like what animals are local or like regional in that place. I loved reading about like the dogs fighting the hyenas. And I was curious, uh, and maybe this is where the last, we're actually coming up on the end of, of the time here. But um, if you had to guess, how many individual camels do you think you saw throughout your entire trip? Because you seem to be really like loving the camels. I love camels. I just got excited thinking about camels. <laughs> um, they are so fun. They're just like cartoon creatures. I mean, who came up with camels? I don't know. Honestly, man. brilliant. Um, <laughs> brilliant. Gosh, I want to say like 2000. That's, That's just a rough fantastic. estimate. Fantastic. I love okay. that. Well, we are, we're coming up to the end of our little Zoom thing here. I just want to say thank you so much for being on. This has been so fun to talk with you. Guys, go check it out. Learning Peace. Thank it's on you. Amazon, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks. Well, take care. Thanks so much for talking. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much, Krista. Thanks. Yeah, Bye.
You too. All right, guys. That was our episode with Krista. Um, thank you guys for listening. Um, great episode. We, we touched on a lot of uh, issues and topics there. Um, again, her book, uh, Learning Peace, you can find it on Amazon. It's available now. And guys, um, there's a nonprofit she's joined with, Asham Coffee. Um, so for each book that's sold, uh, $1 will go to, to this uh, nonprofit. Uh, basically, it's helping uh, women on uh, Ethiopia with uh, getting involved in education and building more sustainable income in their communities. So if you guys want to be a part of that, help contribute to that, uh, you can find her book, Learning Peace. Again, the cover looks like this. You can find it on Amazon. And then for each dollar you uh, from the book that's been purchased, we'll go to that nonprofit, Asham Coffee. So, uh, guys, please go check it out. And, uh, yeah. And she's also on Instagram, too, if you all want to follow her. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, go follow her IG. Um, Crispy, so K-R-I-S. P-E-Y-J. Uh, that's our Instagram handle. Go follow her. Give her a shout out. Tell her you love the podcast. You guys, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, Instagram at Cook and Coach Pod. TikTok at Cook and Coach. Um, you can find uh, the link in the bio and our Instagram page to all our stuff, our YouTube, our Spotify, our TikTok, all that good stuff. Uh, can give them your socials and what you got going on. So for me, uh, at Haymarket Pantry on Instagram and TikTok, that's my food page. At Kenny Martin Music on Instagram and TikTok, that's my music page. So you can find that. And uh, yeah, check that out. Uh, please support. And then, Baze, you also have some fitness stuff going on as well. Guys, YouTube, Instagram, same deal. At Beza Tensaye, B-A-E-Z-A-T-E-N-S-A-I-E. Uh, yeah, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all the same. Find me there. Pretty simple. And uh, guys, that's all we got for you today. We appreciate you listening. That was the show. And we will see you next time. Peace.